0: Great news from Sprint. The wait is finally over. The new Samsung Galaxy Note 10 with the powerful S Pen has arrived at Sprint, and you can get it for 50% off with a Sprint Flex lease. That's right. Get the power of performance and productivity of the Galaxy Note 10 for less than $20 per month. There's never been a better time to switch. To learn more, visit your local Sprint store, Sprint.com slash Galaxy Note 10, or call eight hundred Sprint1 today. 1979 a month after 1980 month credit applied 2 bills with approved credit 18-month lease and new line of service have canceled Lily main Balance due. exclusive tax coverage and offer not available everywhere third calculation fee restrictions apply.
1: This is the Gator Nation football podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVergilio.
2: This place is an insane asylum in this land.
0: Oh my! Now we know we're just a bunch of
2: average stiffs.
1: Welcome to the Gator Nation football podcast. This is Alan Williams and I am sitting... Right next to James DiVergilio. Yes, that's right. I'm back in the promised land, Gainesville, Florida. I have survived the Russian winter and returned to co-host this beloved show. James, it's
3: good to be back. It's great to have you back sitting next to me. It feels weird to share the microphone. I kind of feel a little claustrophobic. I got used to just having it right in front of me. And now Alan and I do this podcast sitting side by side in the studio because it picks up a little bit better audio quality and it is a Monday afternoon on Memorial Day as we record this and it is pouring rain outside. It is. So I'm I, I thought maybe Gainesville so happy. It's tears of joy for you, Alan, to be back.
1: <laughs> I'm excited for the show. It's hopefully a little bit of an oasis in the college football desert that we are currently in. We're going to talk a little Gator news. We're going to talk about where we think all the SEC programs are at currently. How would we power rank them, stock up, stock down, that type of thing. Let's jump into it, James. What are we talking about first? We're going to talk about some
3: quarterbacks. That seems to be a As recurring always. theme on the show. Uh, there was there was some interesting news with regards to quarterbacks. One, very high profile. Another one that we alluded to after the spring game. Let's start with a bigger news, Alan. Let's start with, with Joe Burrow, the Ohio State quarterback, groomed by Urban Meyer, loses out on the job, uh, announces his transfer, widely thought by the media that UF would be a destination that he would consider, and it seems like we did not even so much as send him a text message about the opening that we have here. What are your thoughts on the lack of pursuit by
1: Florida? You know, it kind of went back and forth. It was, it was funny that on one hand, I was extremely intrigued by the possibility of this guy coming here. And the other hand, it's, this is a backup quarterback who just lost the QB battle. Shows how desperate we are in Gainesville for any kind of quarterback success that we would salivate over an Ohio State backup. But he's a guy who seemed like he could fit our system, coming from Ohio State to UF, you know, from Meyer to Mullen. And it seemed like a nice fit. We need some more quarterback competition. But when I explained my excitement to some people who aren't as versed in Gator lore as we are, they looked at me askew and thought, uh, you're really excited about a backup quarterback who's hitting the transfer market? I don't know, James, were you disappointed that we didn't pursue him?
3: I think that there's there's like two ways to look at this, and, and one could be, yes, you're disappointed because you feel like Burrow is probably, on paper, already ahead of all of our quarterbacks. I he think, was a high recruit. I think that's fair. He's a high recruit, and he spent a couple of years learning under Urban, so that should put him ahead of our quarterbacks, which are spent all of one spring learning from Mullen. So there's that. The second piece is, what if, what if Burrow was a guy that Urban, who's friends with Mullen, says, hey you know, don't really touch this guy. He's got some issues. Uh, maybe he's not a guy that Urban feels like is, is going to get the job done. That would be the only real thing to me that would be satisfactory. If that was not the case, Alan, and, and Burrow got a glowing recommendation from Urban, and we chose not to pursue him, I think that would raise some questions because we certainly do not have a quarterback that we can trust and or believe. And adding Burrow into the mix should just add more competition and, and, and potentially a guy who's got more experience in this system to help the others. It did not go in that direction. He winds up at LSU, which seems like an extremely curious place for him to go. Mm-hmm. I really thought he was going to wind up at Cincinnati uh, with a, a former position coach of his there uh, running that offense, which is also similar to what, of course, he's run before. But he winds up in a, in a new system, in a new place in LSU. Uh, we'll see how that works out for him, but yeah, to me it was curious. To me it was curious. Again, we no reports that he's a bad guy. No reports that Urban sort of put the kibosh on him. We just seemed to not to not care about one Joe Burrow.
1: Yeah, there is. This was confusing to me. It seemed like a slam dunk that we would at least go after him, like unless, as you said, there's information that we don't have. We're not privy to these conversations. You know, you and Dan Mullen are best friends now, but he didn't talk to you about this. I know. Um, maybe that Mullen believes so much in Emory Jones that he doesn't want to put anything in his path to be the starting quarterback. That would be the best case scenario for me of why we didn't take him that he looks at Burrow and says, this is a guy who is maybe going to be better than Emory immediately and would be a roadblock to him starting and developing long-term. But We only have now three quarterbacks on the roster. Two don't seem to be a natural fit in Mullen's preferred scheme. Seems like just for depth reasons alone, you would want to add another guy. Now, maybe there was some back-channel talk and he was looking for basically a promise to start and we couldn't give him that. LSU is a quarterback mess, even maybe more so than we are. None of their guys look like they're panning out. Um, you know, he had natural ties in Nebraska, but they have a young freshman they like. Cincinnati already has a starting quarterback from last year who played decently. So it might just be an LSU was the most wide open. But I would have loved for us to be in on him. I don't know whether we really were or not. I mean, it's it's not a good look if you go after a guy and he chooses one of your rivals. So maybe we did behind the scenes and never really talked about it publicly. But in public, Mullen Basically seemed like he shrugged it off as like, no, we're not looking at it this time. And he still has two years of eligibility left, which would make him an attractive grad transfer. Um, I don't know. Do you expect him to have success at LSU? I don't,
3: I don't know. It's hard. Obviously, you're watching his high school tape when you watch him play. And it's hard to know exactly what he's going to get into at LSU. It appears he lost an extremely close quarterback competition. Right under Urban and certainly Urban has had a lot of success recruiting quarterbacks in that system. And I think that's what appeals to me the most is we run a similar system. He's had a lot of success with just about everyone he's recruited outside of maybe like you know John Brantley here at UF towards the end. But other than that, most of those guys are good. So I think you could have argued that it was an upgrade. But for whatever reason we don't have it. We will see how that works out. We're never gonna know exactly how that works out, but I think what you said, Alan sums up my thoughts. Our position of need is quarterback you have a guy that fits almost like a, a dream-like scenario, your position of need to come in and compete, and you don't go after him at all. A little curious. Uh, it could come down to some of the promises made to Emory. That's very possible. Uh, but at any rate, I, I would have expected and liked to have seen us go after them. I think that we, we need, like we mentioned, we need depth at that position. and That would have given you maybe two guys that at least on paper fit the system, whereas now you just really still only have one in Emory.
1: And, you know, the loser of a close, quote-unquote, quarterback battle. Remember, we had a Treon Harris-Will Greer close quarterback battle that was never really close, obviously. So he could not actually be that good. But on the other hand, going to LSU with a new offensive coordinator, that could kill us two years in a row. And so I don't want that to be the case. I hope he's not actually that good, and Mullen looks great for missing out on him. But right now, it appears like we missed an opportunity. Again, not having all the information, but that's where it looks from where we're sitting. Speaking of transfers,
3: Jake Allen, a guy we alluded to after the spring game that probably needed to move on, does in fact move on, announces his transfer rather quickly. Uh, Thoughts on that
1: move? Very much anticipated by us. We talked about like clearly he was not just fourth on the depth chart, but very far removed from the other three guys it was an obvious step to him for him transferring out of um you know the mullen system which is doesn't fit him at all like him a lot as a kid he recruited hard for the program while he was a commit and you know, seemed to really want to be a gator so I feel bad for him that this is the way the cards kind of fell for him but hopefully he'll end up a place where he gets a chance to play and succeed what about you uh, exactly, I feel
3: like he's a very sharp guy. I think that he came in and was always going to be a little bit of a long shot, and you know, he was he was not a, a five star, four star guy, but he was the guy that they thought could compete because I think primarily of his of his intellect. And he is he is a competitive guy, He's a sharp guy. Uh, I like the guy a lot, and I certainly wish him success and, and some starting playing time at his next stop.
1: Let's go on to some other news. Our assistant coaches came out that uh, we pay some of our assistants quite a bit of money, specifically Todd Grantham, our new defensive coordinator. He's going to be making about $1.5 million this year and next year, one of the highest-paid assistants in the country. James, what does that say about how the Gators view Todd Grantham? Obviously, Dan Mullen targeted him as his number one recruit, if you will.
3: Right? He's a top-five paid coach coming into this season. Uh, He's the highest-paid Gator assistant ever. Uh, he he's making more than many head coaches are at the, the collegiate level, the division one level. And he's obviously a guy that Dan Mullen thinks is integral to Dan Mullen's start here at UF. Interesting note in his contract, there is not a buyout, which is nice. So mm-hmm. uh, for him, obviously in the event that he leaves, nothing is holding him back. He can just ride on out of there. So really favorable contract for Grantham. And I think it shows you that, uh, that Dan Mullen said, hey, I need to move everything possible to make this guy come. Uh, hey, UF, you can't give me any hurdles here. This guy is super, super integral. And that's that's how he feels about him. His results have been more or less stellar, like we talked about, minus a year at Georgia. Uh, he's, he's a quick turnaround guy. And, of course, he runs that 3-4 defense we've talked about. A lot of pressure on him now, I think. Especially, I think the Gator fans are going to watch this and think, if this guy doesn't deliver right out of the gate, there's going to be a lot of frustration given the, the large salary that we are paying him.
1: Yeah. Big expectations for him. When you bring a guy like that over and you pay him the amount that we're paying him, there's going to be some blowback. You're right. If, if the defense doesn't take a step forward and there's some talent there, but they're also going in through a transition to a new scheme. Like we've talked about, I don't know. I, I don't think I've viewed Todd Grantham as that level of a defensive coordinator. Maybe he is. And, you know, he's had success, especially at Louisville and Mississippi State. So if he comes out there and puts the Gators back in the top 15, top 10 on defense, I think he'll have earned that money. And I think we'll look at that and say, gosh, that was a great move by Dan Mullen for continuity in his staff and, you know, kind of establishing a new norm in the program, but also could blow up if this is a guy who doesn't going to work out. We're paying him a lot, a lot of money and That's something to keep an eye on moving forward because I think Gator fans aren't going to have a lot of patience because we've had success on the defense side of the ball in the past.
3: Yeah, I think what it might show most importantly uh, at this point is that Scott Strickland is not messing around with the football program. He's giving Dan Mullen the keys to the kingdom. He has complete trust in him. He's opening the pocketbook. We're building facilities. We're taking a lot of steps that a lot of people, that a lot of you out there wanted to see for years. Those steps are happening. We are signaling to the rest of the SEC and the nation that – We are going to spend, we are going to hop into the arms race. We are no longer going to be the smaller fish, monetarily speaking, spending wise, at the table in the SEC.
1: Yeah, so we'll we'll look for some success from old Todd Grantham. And if not, he might be on the hot seat quickly. All right, let's talk about the NFL draft for a minute. There are five Gators drafted. So even with not a lot of success, still a lot of talent moving into the NFL uh, our only first-round pick, Taven Bryan, goes to my Jacksonville Jaguars at the end of the first round. James, what do you think about that for him? A great result for him. Yeah, we we chronicled
3: him a lot on the, on the pod, mainly for sort of blowing past his gap. I think he still did that last year. I think what the NFL knows, though, is that this guy's strength is very rare. Mm-hmm. Rare to have that kind of get-off, rare to have that kind of strength. I don't think an NFL coach is too worried about teaching him how to control his gap a little bit better. I think they're primarily concerned about finding guys that have that combination. That's exactly what he has. Uh, so not a surprise there, and I know Jacksonville's defense is is already fearsome, and now with the potential combinations they can play there in, in the front four, it's 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 pretty incredible. Uh, they could have a prolific year on defense if all works out for them.
1: Great spot for him that he doesn't have to come in and be like the anchor of a defense, which is normally you would expect from a first round pick. Very deep defensive line. He'll get to play as a wave rotation guy at first, maybe replacing some of these guys as as their bigger deals became more tax burdensome on the Jags, but I think he's going to have a lot of success. And I think um, you know, it's a perfect role for him. Duke Dawson goes a little higher than I thought. Second round to the Pats. Um, I guess they view him as a great fit for the nickel for them. This is probably where he's going to find himself early and often. What do you think about that for him? I think this is the optimal scenario for Duke Dawson. Yeah. You know,
3: certain teams employ nickel more heavily than others, and the Patriots, they love the nickel. I mean, it is their defense, it's what they run almost all the time. They like to run it on all three downs when they can. Uh, I couldn't think of a better place for him. I mean, they feature that position, and they obviously believe in his ability to cover the third receiver. I think that's what's going to be interesting for me. You know, we've talked about Duke's career all, all his career at UF, and, and, Whenever he went up against a one or a two, he really did struggle. And NFL three is a college one. And that's what is interesting to me. Now, he has all the measurables. He's got the strength and the size and the speed. But I'm really, really curious to see how he actually does in the league guarding those guys. Because his history would suggest he struggled
1: to be able to stay with those guys. But I think for him personally, it couldn't have been a better situation. He ran better than I expected him to at the combine. I think that's what pushed him up from potential third-round pick to a second-round pick. And he does have good size for a nickel guy, you know, former safety recruit. And I think, like, you're right, it's a good spot for him. The, the Patriots do have a little bit of a dicey history with their corners and defensive backs that they've taken in the second round. They have a long list of misses in the distance to a few hits. But hopefully, he's one of those hits and he has some success in there. It's a good spot for him. All right, Antonio Callaway, the, I don't know, problem child of the UF program the last couple of years. Which is so funny because he seems so quiet and demure, but always in trouble. Joins the Brown. Apparently they want Josh Gordon to mentor him. Seems like the worst possible decision ever. Uh, what do you think about that for Callaway?
3: I think it's amazing that he got picked in the fourth round yeah. of NFL Draft. I mean, that goes to show you how much talent this guy actually has. Because he didn't play. He was a complete train wreck. Uh, a litany of issues off the field. Granted, nothing that's like a taboo NFL red flag, but still, I mean, didn't play at all. No. And he's a receiver. You know, it's not exactly a position of tremendous need in the NFL. I mean, you can talk to any guy who's played in the league of receiver, and the first thing they'll tell you is as soon as next year's model comes out, you know, you're kind of out. Uh, so I, I think good for him, uh, but it does show, I think, how, how NFL talent evaluators view him as a receiver. And, yeah, the Josh Gordon mentorship I mean, maybe he's really turned the corner, of course. Gordon was down here in, in Gainesville for a long time rehabbing. And uh, I, I don't know if I think that's a connection or not, but hopefully that works out. The Browns could have a very good receiving core if they actually all play on the field together yeah. at any given
1: time. Uh, whether or not that will happen you know, remains to be seen. So this is an interesting stat here. Uh, Callaway is just the ninth Florida receiver taken since 2006. And at 105th overall, Callaway is the highest drafted wideout since Percy Harvin went 22nd in 2009. Is that an amazing stat or what? I'm just shaking
3: my head. We read this before the show and, and had to include it for that reason. It, it's, it's really indicative of how terrible we have been on offense. Yeah, the guy like Quinton Dunbar, who's obviously incredibly talented because he's playing in the NFL now as a corner slash nickelback and, and making a nice living, just signed a new contract in the offseason. He yeah. was a receiver for us, right? We just, we just haven't produced anyone. I mean, to think at the University of Florida that that's the scenario You've gone almost 10 years, and your highest receiver pick during that time is 105th. It's it's incredible failure in the state of Florida to have a stat like that. It's really actually
1: hard to believe, even knowing how bad we've been. It's still hard to believe. Yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling. Um, okay, our boy Johnny Townsend, team MVP for like eight years running, goes in the fifth round to the Raiders, joins his uh, special teams counterpart, Eddie Venier also signs with the Raiders. So you're going to have that Gator duo in Oakland pretty nice for them and then Marcel Harris I'm really stoked for this guy gets drafted by the San Francisco 49ers seemed like everything was going wrong for this guy you know just has his chance to shine and gets hurt but gets drafted anyway and I think for into a good spot for him as well and a team that's reloading he has a chance to make the team so pump for him
3: Yeah, great situation for him, especially if he can make that squad. Good defense, young core, obviously, with with Jimmy Garoppolo there, a really exciting team. Uh, I'm sure he's very happy with how this all turned out, given what was a nightmare year for him. All right, now let's move on past the personnel in the draft, and let's talk about a future event. Uh, UF has scheduled USF. We will have them at home in 2022-2025. And we will be on the road at their place in 2023. This is very notable because it's a very rare non-conference road game, not named Florida State, mm-hmm. that Florida's going to play. What are your thoughts on scheduling USF at this point, given the direction of their program, the direction of our program? And then what are your thoughts on more of these non-conference road games potentially being scheduled in the future?
1: Yeah, this one's an interesting one to me because I understand why we don't like to schedule the USF and the UCFs of the world is you're almost lending them glory. It's like they get the prestige of playing you. And if they beat you, it's amazing for them and terrible for you. And if you beat them, it's like, well, you're supposed to beat them. You're the big brother. So this you can see the imbalance in the programs that we're getting two home games and they're getting one. I don't mind it. I don't know that I really care. I would rather see us spend this kind of capital in, in scheduling these non-conference and, and play outside of our, our home state, maybe. I like the ambitious scheduling. Now, I don't want to go crazy with it because we already have an insane schedule every year with the SEC and Florida State. But I like the occasional Michigan game, the occasional Miami game. I'm a fan of this type of scheduling. I like challenging our team. I was tough playing Michigan out of the gate last year. But you've seen with the college football playoff, if you have this ambitious scheduling and you win that game, it's a huge boost. And if you lose it, it doesn't really kill you if you go, if you win the rest of your games. So I like the ambitious scheduling. What about you? Yeah, I definitely am in favor of ambitious scheduling,
3: especially because for me, I've reached a point in my fan life where I'm far more interested in entertaining matchups than I am in us actually, let's say, winning a national title. And that may or may not resonate with you. It's sort of like the two fan goals. I just want to win. I want to win a title. Or you're more where I am where it's like, actually, I just really want to see a bunch of entertaining football. And if my team loses in a close game in the opener against you know a Pac-12 opponent that's, that's interesting or a Big Ten opponent's interesting, I would rather have that than to play a vanilla schedule uh, that leads you with four or five snoozers each year. Uh, and then maybe you, you know, you win your bowl game or whatever the case may be. I think it's more entertaining to me. So I'm all about that. Scheduling USF with that being said does not move the needle for me. It's exactly what you said. It's big brother versus little brother. I'm not excited about the game. It doesn't mean anything. I don't care. I expect us to win even though they're getting better. It doesn't move the needle at all for me. It, it feels exactly like what you said. Home run for USF if you're a USF fan, this is exactly what you want. You want to play Florida. You want to benchmark. And if you're Florida, don't you want to play Ohio State or Michigan or Nebraska or Oregon or UCLA or anything that moves the needle for your fan base? I think so. So I'm in favor of that. Maybe this leads to that. But I'd love to get, to get on a plane and head to Austin Stadium in Oregon and watch Florida Oregon in 2023. That'd be pretty exciting. I really could care less about going down to Tampa to watch USF play Florida in 2023. I mean, it doesn't move it for me, you know, I'm not saying I won't do it, but it doesn't like light up my, my fandom.
1: Even like a mid tier, it doesn't have to be one of the elite elite, which is what we're looking at most of the time. But even if we were playing a team, I don't know, let's say UCLA before Chip Kelly or somebody like that, who's kind of a name, but even don't have to be at the top of the game. That's kind of a fun thing. I think you saw it with Georgia going to Notre Dame last year. They they ate that up. They filled up the stadium. And I think Gator fans, if we were to take a trip to Notre Dame or I don't know, like you mentioned, Oregon or something like that, it'd be really, really cool. Even an ACC team like Clemson obviously is the premier team, but uh, I'd be interested in playing a lot of those games. So I, hopefully I, if we do schedule this, I'd like it to be another power five team and USF while on the way up and kind of an interesting program really only hurts us rather than helps us. I guess they're trying to make inroads in the Tampa area and continue to highlight themselves there, but I don't know if we need that kind of publicity. I think we already have what we want there.
3: And now with all that being said, if if I put on my coaching hat and I'm Dan Mullen, I absolutely do not really get a huge benefit from playing any non-conference opponent. That's not my opener. You know, history proves that you can lose that opener and you can be just fine with regards to the playoff. But I don't really have an interest in doing that because like you said, right on the top of this question, our schedule is always hard enough that we don't need to do anything else and we can make the national championship game. And as a coach, your goal is to win a national championship and prepare your team. I think you can make an easy argument that just playing in the sec alone prepares you for any opponent you would face in the playoff. Uh, So that's the other side of it, right? Is we're giving you the fan answer and then there's the coach answer. And I think hence you probably see the middle ground of that. You see USF. Okay, great. We'll play this one. We'll try to kind of put on the map. We'll look like we're a little creative, and uh, that—that's what you wind up
1: with. So, there's there's a lot of stuff going on this time of year about recruits visiting, especially with the accelerated recruiting calendar, and kind of having the conversation why UF. And so, let's talk about this. If you're a recruit, why would you cho- choose UF and not Miami or FSU? Uh, that's that's an interesting question because. Those
3: schools are all kind of in similar boats. Sorry, so let's start with Miami. So Miami right now, the facilities at Miami, it's unlike other places, right? The stadium is a good 40 minutes from campus. The facilities, everything about it is just different. So you've got that. That's not going to appeal to every kid, especially kids that want the college feeling. So that's a layup for Florida. If you like the college feel, Florida's going to crush Miami. Tallahassee. Is interesting. Their facilities are, are not top notch, right? Um, so they're in the same boat as us. Maybe better. They're better, but they're not. They're not Clemson. They're not Alabama. They're not like in that that elite level of like, oh my gosh, the facilities blow me away. Uh, and then the town of Tallahassee, I don't think is a, is a needle mover for anyone over Gainesville, whereas the town of Miami certainly is. Right. So I think if you're looking at those factors, uh, then you know UF is is good against them. What I wonder, Alan, is. Why choose UF over Georgia, Alabama, or Clemson? Let's sort of like look at those. Those are like your pizzazz programs right now. You're a top guy. You're a Florida guy from the state. Yes, you know Florida State, Miami, are after you. Maybe you had allegiances there. A lot of those guys have that. That's why they go there. They have a relationship with the coaches. Fine. Why choose UF, which is definitely inferior, I think we could agree, to all three of those programs we just named in facilities. Uh, why, why pick UF now? When you could have a sure thing, at all three of those, you'd be competing for national titles and championships virtually every year, it feels like.
1: That's a great question. Uh, Because I think UF against FSU and Miami, you have the chance to play in the SEC if that's what you want to do. And that's a huge thing. Uh, And I don't want to undersell that. Now you bring Alabama and Georgia in the mix. I don't know. I, I think it probably comes down to maybe you're from Florida and you want to stay in the state. And you grew up and you know a lot more about UF than you do those other two programs in terms of how they operate and how, what's what's the feeling of the program and how people perceive it. That would be the really only draw right now, unless you just like UF for whatever reason. Maybe you like the colors, maybe you like the city of Gainesville, because Georgia and Alabama are doing things that are, are significantly upgraded. Now, I think we have a chance to get there. And if you're going to buy into what Dan Mullen is selling, that we're going to be there in a couple of years. That would be enticing as well. There's this weird alchemy of recruiting. You never know. Is it the, um, is it the school? Is it the feeling? Is it the alumni? Is it the uh, football success? Is it the academics? Is it maybe they just like the dorms when you showed it to them? I don't know. Maybe they have a great relationship with the coaches. So obviously, you have. There's no barriers to coming here. You can do anything here. We ha- will have the best of everything. And I think if I'm Dan Mullen, especially against Miami and. FSU, if you're going up against those two schools, I think I would pitch that this is the SEC. And even though the SEC is a nice league, and they've got some good teams, obviously, at the top, uh, the glamour league is the SEC. And that's the only place you can play in the state of Florida. And I think that does carry a lot of weight. I think Florida State
3: still has maybe the brand. In fact, talking with Chris Rainey about the Florida recruits that came, and Chris, uh, according to Chris, and actually verified by the other guys, that Lakeland juggernaut program, all of the guys outside of Chris Rainey were going to Florida State. That's where they were going to go. And Chris convinced all of them to come to Florida. And really, really interesting to hear these guys kind of reminisce about that and talk about how that went down. And it had nothing to do with with Gainesville or not. In fact, Chris just made the argument that if we all stayed together, we could win a national championship and that he felt like Florida was a better opportunity because Urban was a a new coach in a new environment. And they had a chance to succeed there more quickly, right? Uh, But I think that illustrates, like, maybe some of the weirdness of what goes on here, uh, because obviously we came off of a Ron Zook era when reigning those guys came in, and we were not good. We certainly were not, you know, super high profile. Florida State was coming off their own troubled situation at that point in time as well. But I think it does illustrate that for a lot of these guys, it is the position coach, it is the feel, it is a bunch of weird things that you can't necessarily put your finger on. Uh, But what we know right now, is that if you're at Florida, you really have to get a feeling from the coaches that you're going to compete for a title. I've never met a player that was a top recruit that didn't want to compete for a championship. And I think Mullen, that's what he has to do, right? To sell Florida. Because we can't we can't say, look at our facilities, they're the best, because they're not. Uh, we can't say... Um, you know, look at our track record in the past six years. We're the best because we're not, but what he could say is exactly what you said. Hey, look, we're Florida. We're the biggest kid in the block. We're still, we still have a higher brand than Georgia does across the country. We're still looked at as a powerhouse program with your abilities and skill sets. We're going to get back there. And Oh, by the way, we're building all these new facilities. We're doing stuff. You'll be the first to experience this. And I think that is a powerful sell, but it only goes as far as your record goes. And so again, We come out next year. We struggle. We look bad. Uh, You kind of face the same headwinds we've been facing now for many, many years, which is, oh, no, they haven't fixed it. We still have problems. So Miami playing well, doing well, Rick probably recruiting as good as you can recruit Miami nowadays, I think, given their profile. And remains to be seen what happens at Florida State. Uh, but, But interesting question, because I think we've learned one thing, Alan, from doing this pod. It's that recruiting is not something that you can boil their plate for each no. recruit. They make weird decisions based upon whatever feeling they get from whatever person or the pretty girls or the dorms, like you mentioned. It's really random. And a lot of people that you talk to that uh, you know are now moved on from college, they don't know why they chose one school over the other. They really couldn't even give you a reason. It was the night before, and they couldn't figure it out, and they just went with one. And so it's kind of maddening to look at it that way. But I do think that we are well-suited, like you mentioned. We're in the SEC. We're in the East. You can compete in the East. We're not far away from being able to compete for titles on, in paper and theory. And we're upgrading our facilities um, at a rate now like the other top schools are. So no, no hurdles are here to prevent you from succeeding. All right. This is now a perfect time to power rank these other SEC programs. right? So we just talked about how we feel like Florida was lagging behind in some things. Uh, we feel like where our record's been, where our track record's been, in fact, this is a, a cringeworthy stat, Alan, but in the past five years, we're tied for 10th in overall wins with Tennessee Oof. in the SEC. 10th. It hurts. We're low. We're low in total totem pole. So I want you to give me the stock up, stock down. I'm going to play this game as well. Uh, are they trending up or are they trending down? We're going to start with the SEC teams in the East, and we're going to go in order of the record of finish. Okay. All right, last year. So
1: uh, we'll start with the obvious, Georgia.
3: Stock up, stock down.
1: I mean, it pains me to say it, but it's obviously it's stock up. It seems like good old Kirby's got this thing churning Alabama style, and I don't see the end. I mean, they just had a record epic recruiting class. You can only say stock up for them. They have the number one quarterback recruit. Oh, man. Um, you know They might take a slight step back next year in terms of record-wise just because their team is going to be so young. And that to replace a lot of important guys. But, I mean, the future is bright unless something happens to derail it.
3: Yeah, all of our fears came true with Georgia. <laughs> we talked about oh, it. Man. It was an unlit bonfire. All Kirby did was take all of his opponents, put them on the bonfire, and light it himself. That's what he's done now. And it's a big glowing ball of orange fire out of Athens, Georgia. And the rest of us are looking at it in, in fear. At least I am. Yeah, it, it seems like he's building a juggernaut and also seems like Alabama is a bit weakened. Which tells me that maybe Kirby was a very integral part of that. So it's it's ugly there. Stock way. I don't know that Georgia's stock has ever been higher than it is right now. I think it's as high as it could possibly get. Uh, it's just a it's a bright shining star. All right, finishing second in the East last year. Alan. Wow, second. I know. Just looking at this list is so depressing. <laughs> South Carolina, the Fighting Will Muschamps. Florida's you know coach of yesterday. Uh, stock up, stock down. I don't know. This is
1: hard. I'm like, Can I say like hold? I mean, if you're, sure. if you're flat, gonna, it's a flat stock. Yeah. If you're gonna make me pick, though, I'm gonna say stock down. Uh, I think this is the point where Will Muschamp just runs out of gas a little bit. He did this, you know, had a nice second year at Florida, and then it just caught up to him because he gets outpaced by the rest of his opponents. Because I don't know that he has the kind of talent it takes to succeed at the top top level. Now I think South Carolina is a good place for him. I think they can be solid. We'll see how long they tolerate solid. Um, so maybe hold but probably slightly stock down.
3: Yeah, I like the way you're looking at that. I mean I think relative to South Carolina's thoughts on him, it's probably stock up. They probably feel like more rosy about it. But if I sit here looking at a 9 and 14 for South Carolina in the weakest possible in, east, in the weakest possible east you could have, does it get any better for them? Probably not. That's probably about where he d- he does it, and he probably has one random outlier year. If he stayed for like twelve years, probably has that one weird year where he wins a bunch of close games. But <clears throat> I don't get the feeling that he's building a a juggernaut there. So I like a, I like flat. I'm not panicking for him. I think he's possibly found himself a spot where he could coach for a while and and get sort of the mediocre to mediocre plus results and be okay. So I like I like flat. I like flat there. All right, Kentucky. A team that a lot of people were very high on entering uh-huh. last season finished seven and six. Stock up, stock
1: down, maybe flat here. What are you looking at? Yeah, I'm gonna go stock <laughs> down again. Uh, I think, kind of in the same way that our boy at Tennessee, you know, missed his peak and got fired. I think Stoops at Kentucky is a similar. If he hasn't done it by now, I don't know that he's ever going to turn the corner. And I think he might, you know, Kentucky has more patience than some of these other players. So he, he, he's still got some room to turn it around, but I don't know that he's ever really going to do it.
3: Yeah. Stock down for me as well. And for what you just said, I mean, I think most of us on the show, know I'm a huge believer in the three year rule at any of these programs. And if you don't show that, that significant trend up by three years, you won't be elite. But furthermore, If you don't show a strong positive trend, you won't even be good. Essentially, you'll be out of a job. And I think Stoops is strongly headed towards that direction. Uh, There is a narrative this year where he does put together a team that that maybe wins nine games, which Kentucky will be thrilled with. But he's definitely down to the end of his rope. Uh, I think that this will be a boom or bust bet. If you're looking at this as a stock, this is you're going broke or you're going to have a nice return this year. Uh, That's the option for Kentucky And so, so for that alone, I'd stay away. Given the history of Kentucky and history of Stoops, I would not want to make a boom bet on him. No. So I'll go stock down there. Missouri, who was an absolute dumpster fire, making fun of them at the beginning of the season, turned it around rather miraculously. Uh, Seemed to put the pieces together.
1: They finished seven and six. Stock up or stock down? Okay. So if you look a little closer here, I think the analysis would tell you stock down. They had like a six or seven game winning streak in the the year. But if you look at each of their opponents, it was like all places that had just fired their coach, like Florida and Tennessee. And they're beating up on a couple of other programs who were kind of wayward at the time. I think it was some smoke and mirrors. Also lost their offensive coordinator, Josh Heupel, who's now the coach at UCF. I don't know that all my um, questions were answered by that run. I I think they were better than... They appeared at the beginning of the year when they look like you said a total dumpster fire, but I think they're going to even back out. And I don't know that Barry Odom's the guy. He could be. There are some moments in there where you know they looked really good. They looked amazing against us. I'll tell you that. And Drew Locke ate us alive. But I don't know if that's repeatable for them. And I, yeah, I don't want to like totally bash the program here and be like, oh, they actually suck. I mean, I, I think they'll be. Kind of frisky. They're not going to be like Vanderbilt awful as you know at, Vanderbilt, at Vanderbilt's lowest points, but I still would have to say stock down. Yeah, I think stock
3: down here as well. Great job, I think, to recover from last year, but the, the overall trend feels down. What Pinkel did there was exemplary. I have a hard time believing that Odom is going to be able to match that. And for that reason alone, you would mm-hmm. think the trend is going, is going down. Uh, all right, Florida reminder here we finished four and seven last year you know I, I <laughs> that's wanna, amazing actually. I looked at this and thought oh my gosh we finished four and seven last year it's easy to just sort of erase that from your mind and forget
1: about it especially when like as you said we you know in the most optimistic view as you did in the preseason picked us to go like 11 and one Cool. you know so not that yeah. you actually thought that would happen but just every game seemed winnable and it clear it was not so I think if you're if this was the real stock market, I would be like buying UF like crazy because you'd be getting at it at a very low point and everything would be telling you that it can only go up. So of course, stock up from four and seven. But I think overall as a program, I like the direction that we're heading. I, again, we've talked about Mullen not having the highest ceiling as some of those other people, but I think his floor is extremely high. So has to be stock up.
3: Oh, definitely stock up. And if you're looking at Florida as a stock, like what you just said, Dan Mullins a CEO that you would totally stand behind because he's going to get you profits and he's not going to blow your company up. Mm-hmm. The problem is he may not take you to, to the number one spot, but he's definitely going to have a return to profitability. And so I think for Florida, the stock is definitely way, way up over where it was going. Uh, and that's, you know that seems to be more or less a no-brainer. I think that it would, it would be hard to find anyone who would disagree with that. Notion at this point. In time, right? Vanderbilt, a team that stock was skyrocketing in the early part of last year. I mean, people were on the train, right? This is a real thing. All they did was go 1-7 in oh, conference gosh. and finish 5-7. and seven. I feel bad for Vanderbilt. I want Vanderbilt to be good because uh, we're in the East. I like teams to be good. They had just so much going for them in their minds, and they just crashed down so hard when Alabama just annihilated them off of the face of the football map is there
1: where is their stock even at right now stock down i mean Derek mason he has these moments where look like you know, he first gets hired they lose to literally everybody and it's like oh man this guy's not gonna make it this season and then they turn around and have some wins they beat georgia that one year and they it's like weird uh they they look good on defense and they're terrible on defense and they look good on offense and then they're bad on offense i gotta say stock down i don't see Derek mason as the future very competent d coordinator i'm sure and maybe that's fine enough at Vanderbilt, but I'm still going to have to go stock down.
3: Yeah, not, not, I think a trending up, maybe flat. I mean, they finished five and seven. They'll probably have results between five and seven and seven and five, you know, every so often feels about where they normally are. So I'm going to say flattish results, but certainly if you bought that stock last year, you're burned and you're definitely not buying it again this year. And if you didn't buy it last year, you saw it and think, Ooh, I don't really like what I saw. I don't have to make of it. So it's like a, it's a holding pattern there. Uh, all right, the last team is Tennessee in the East. The only team, Allen, the only team in the East that did not score more points than us was Tennessee. Vanderbilt scored more points than we did. Let that settle into your your minds there for a little bit. Tennessee, 0-8 in conference. This makes me so happy. That's amazing. This. Just, man, it just lightens my misery a little bit. It's truly incredible. Stock up or stock down for them?
1: I mean, it has to be stock down. Just from the amazing circus show that was their coaching search last year that they seem to be a disarray. And the guy they hired, I guess, is fine, Jeremy Pruitt. No one was like, yes, we got Jeremy Pruitt. It was basically like, okay, we didn't hire an absolute clown, so that's a win, I guess. But Pruitt, I don't think it was anybody's short list of like, this is the up-and-coming guy. It was like more like, we got some question marks. We think he's a good defensive coordinator. He's another saving guy, and that's, I guess, to his credit. But stock down, and if if you're a Tennessee fan, you were feeling – Like, Butch is finally going to punch through two years ago, and this is our chance. We're back, baby. And then the plane has crashed.
3: Yeah, I feel like it has to be stock up because <laughs> I can't. No, it's going through the floor. They're I declaring bankruptcy, James. I can't see, but I think they're in bankruptcy. I can't <laughs> see them. I think they're coming out of Chapter 11 bankruptcy and they're reorganizing. And I mean, any result they get is going to be better than what they got last year. I, I can't. I guess. I can't see them going four and eight again. I mean, I could. They're terrible. Their roster is really bad, but like, I feel like. I don't know. I mean, I want to say that they were once... I still have this feeling with Tennessee. And this is not true if you're under the age of 30. But if you're if you're like I am and you're in your mid-30s, I still have this love affair with Tennessee. I mean, like, they were awesome. They were yes, so they good. Were, they, they were, were the such a team to be feared. They had tremendous athletes. The power tee, the fan base, everything about it was so good. that I look at them and think, that's a tremendous college football program. They cannot be two decades in the making of just dumpster fireness, but like you're saying, they can be and they keep setting new bottoms, but I want to say I want to say that I think this next era is not going to return them to the top of the SEC, right? but I think it's going to be like a Dan Mullen, minus a lot but like maybe there's going to be like not as much news, they're going to like do boring, competent things in the football field, and they're going to get like Seven wins. I mean, that's what I feel like is gonna happen. Maybe not right away, but but it doesn't it's not exciting. Like Mike Leach there, I, I was I would have been ant. I yeah. can't believe they railroaded him and did not make him come there. Classic Tennessee scenario. But I'm gonna say stock up. I stock I think stock up. I'm buying I'm buying Tennessee, not excited. I'm not excited about it. I'm buying well, them as like a small gainer.
1: Okay, yes. I guess so. They're not gonna go 0 8 in SEC, probably, but there's a ninety five percent chance they're gonna fire their coach. Like, this is not going to be the thing that brings them out of it. So they're going to be still mediocre to bad three years from now. So if you want to buy that stock and make 25 cents, feel free. So technically stock up, but not really, right? I mean, they're all the Palace intrigue alone has got to set them back, you know, another few years. And if you notice, we did five of seven teams basically stock down or like, I guess I'll buy stock because they went 0 and 8 SEC. So there's room for Florida to finish very easy. It's a very, very clear path to second at least next year. Does that encourage you, or does that make you just still burn the dumpster fire of the SEC? No, it
3: does. That's that's why I picked us to win 11 games last year. And (laughs) and with each game, I said, "This is the problem. This is why you don't look at." By the way, you don't. This is why you don't look at a matchup week by week. We did it. We do it for fun. It's entertaining but you're far better off closing your eyes and saying how many wins can this team get in the whole season and don't look at the opponents as as a baseline right. and think okay this team kind of sucks probably seven and then go from there if you look at each game and you say well these guys also suck then you get yourself into a really poor position which is that well they they suck worse and you know when two uh-huh. teams suck and they play each other no one knows what's going to happen
1: okay so. let me let me walk let me give you the chance to go first in the west here <laughs> okay um So you can get some of your thoughts out here first. Okay. Actually finishing first. This is a funny thing that you mentioned Alabama being in flux, even though they just won the national championship. (laughs) That's funny that you can be both down as a program and reigning national national championships champions. Okay. Auburn, the Auburn Tigers actually finished first in the West. Their, (laughs) their, their stock is down for me. I just think they paid. Whoa! I think they just paid. Well, here's why
3: I think they peaked. I think they paid Gus Malzahn a ridiculous amount of money. I think Gus Malzahn has a history of, Getting quirky results against good teams in the West, he does that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give him credit where credit is due. But he also gets quirky results against a lot of other teams. And I just feel like, can Auburn be better than they are right now? No, I feel like they're going to be a mixed bag every year. Like, they'll have a quarterback and they'll have a no-line and they'll have a playmaker and a running back and, and they'll win 10 games. And the next year they'll win seven games. I'm like I'm not thinking they're going to go higher than where they are, that's kind of who they are. And that's what, I mean, it's not down as in I'm like afraid of it. It's kind of just, I don't know that I can even make a quarter off of them. I think their trading range is well-defined. You know what we're getting with Gus Malzahn. Nothing
1: is new there. That's kind of how I feel about them. Okay, I'm going to go slight stock up because I think if I have to invest money in them, if they're going to buy it or I got to sell it, I'm going to buy it slightly. I mean, it would hold, like I feel like you're saying is right. Auburn is isn't one of the better Auburn periods this is always funny because Auburn is like almost firing their coach in one of their better periods. You know, this is classic Auburn syndrome, but I think they can get, there's still a little bit higher ceiling. So they've had some quarterback issues. If I like Jared Stidham, I think the defense, they figure some things out and they, that's, they've maintained a high level with that. Um, they're, they're a funky fun team every year. I love the Auburn program. I'm sad. We don't play them every year anymore. Um, it's probably good for our bottom line, but they're a fun program. My, definitely my favorite West program. Okay, the defending national champions, Alabama Crimson Tide. I guess you're going stock down? I'm going to go stock down. I th- Wow, wow, <laughs> hot, hot takes hot coming hot over hot here. Hot
3: take. I think that, that Kirby Smart may have been a rather instrumental figure in that program. And that seems like stating the obvious, except there's been so many rather instrumental people that have left and have not, Caused Alabama to miss a beat mm-hmm. at all in recruiting or anything else. Alabama took a step back on defense last year. They had injuries. Totally understand that. They had injuries. They took a, a rather large step back in recruiting. And so there's. For them. Correct. There's two ways to look at that it's random, it's an anomaly, blah, blah, blah. Or there is correlation and causation with one Kirby Smart not being there and sucking up all the other recruits. Time will tell. But for that reason alone, I'm going to say that Alabama takes a slight step back. And and keep in mind that a second year Georgia team, a second year Georgia team really should have beaten a fully loaded Nick Saban, everything he wanted Alabama team Mm. in that game. Yeah. That, in my opinion, would not have happened to Alabama teams of old with a newcomer on the block like that. And it did. And they were very fortunate. And Nick Saban did a very excellent job by changing quarterbacks, like we talked about, but he played with fire. At any rate, for that reason, only against himself here, obviously, against themselves, stock down Alabama versus itself.
1: Right. I'm going to say stock down, too. And for some of the reasons you said, like recruiting, they're... I'm not a believer in their offensive coordinator, Mike Loxley. He's not had, he's a great recruiter, but I don't know that he can run offense. I think Brian Dable last year, I mean, if I even ask everybody in the street who was Alabama's offensive quarter last year, no, I mean, if you knew it, congratulations to you. All right, you have to be people like us to know that. I think there's the one element here, the wild card for me is Tua Tagivaloa, whatever you say his last name. We do should have Googled that beforehand. He could transform them to be a prolific offense and have no idea what they're gonna look like. New OC, potential new offensive coordinator or new quarterback. They still have a, obviously a ton of talent on this team. They could come out and steamroll. This could be like a vintage, maybe not vintage in terms of like personality, but in terms of production Alabama team next year. Who knows? But if you're, it's like buying, like you said, the stock at the very peak. Is this going to go up anymore? It can't possibly go any higher. So probably is only going to go slightly lower. Although I do expect them to be very good again this year.
3: And yeah, let me go on the record by saying right now, James, who's going to win the SEC next year? I'm I'm picking Alabama. Yeah, of course. So it's a it's a stock down only against Alabama, and I do think, like you said, there are plenty of reasons to believe their offense is going to be dynamic if Nick Saban chooses to go in that direction, which could totally make them a juggernaut, which we talked about a lot last year.
1: Okay, finishing third in the SEC with a six and two conference record. The Bayou Bengals, LSU. Why? <laughs> this is a wild one. Another team that was stay away. Terrible. I mean, they were so bad. And you look at they—they they
3: finished nine and four and six and two in conference. And they were—they were so bad. We should—we mm-hmm. should have easily beaten them. And they're—they're—they're they're they're terrible. This—this—this this, this is this is short sell as much as possible. Like I'm—I'm I'm using leverage. I'm short selling. I'm putting—I'm putting naked options on. Uh, three I mean, three times I the downside. It. I mean, I, I am so convinced that LSU is going to hell in a handbasket. And I want a piece <laughs> of the action. I'm betting on that entirely. There's no way that Ed Orgeron maintains any level of success at LSU. He is a horrible head football coach. I, I am absolutely betting the downside on them. Stock so far down. I uh, just,
1: just, that's the way it's got to be. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, coach O, not a believer. <clears throat> You know, they had Canada there last year, Matt Canada, and he leaves. They hire a guy, I think Enzminger is his last name. He's been around. We should know his name. But I'm not like convinced he's going to fix anything. You know, they're bringing in guys like Joe Burrows. Who would want him? I mean, come on. I don't know about this. They're such a wild card. I could see them putting it together and having a great season next year just because the chaos that having Coach Osier head coaches but overall stock down in the really obviously difficult sec west they're fascinating though i mean must watch tv okay mississippi state new coach with boy joe moorhead how you feeling they're they're trendy pick to win the west i am so excited
3: i mean everyone on this pod knows how much i love joe moorhead i mean i love that guy i think his offense is, is fantastic it's, it seems impossible to say stock up. I know, isn't that crazy? It does seem impossible to say that. Just because the success Dan Mullen had there is completely unparalleled. It's not something that's, that's happened before. Joe Moorhead ha- had a, a great stint at a tiny school for two or three years. Before he had a phenomenal stint at Penn State. His individual stock is sky high. I will say this, Alan if you wanted to place a boom or bust wager, this is a good one. Mm-hmm. This is a good one. I don't see Joe Moorhead being a mediocre guy. I see him either being like transcendent coaching's next hot thing or flame out and blow up you know, in your face. And it won't take one year, obviously, right? Yeah. But, but if you did want to say, hey, this is your Google early stage. This is your Apple early stage. It's Mississippi State. I think that That's why if I'm a Mississippi State fan, I'm stoked about it. That's what you want at Mississippi State. I think you want the opportunity to be great. You want to swing for the fence. They did that. I'd be stoked about their program. So personally, I'm going to go stock up for the boomer bust play and the fact that it would be a fun boomer bust play to make.
1: Yeah, this is tough. This is one of those things where they're projected to do pretty well next year because they have a lot of returning pieces um, hopefully returning quarterback of Fitzgerald is back healthy. Uh, you know, really innovative offensive mind in Moorhead. But this might be a, a thing where you would, if you're like a day trader and you like trade, you bought some today and then sold it tomorrow um, because n- who knows if they're going to be able to follow it up. We have no idea how Joe Moore is as a program builder. And th- the degree of, of difficulty in Mississippi state is extremely high. I mean, they're they're a Vanderbilt type program in terms of their traditional success, maybe a, a notch higher. Like a con- they're, they're basically Kentucky, and the fact that Dan Mullen won consistently there is awesome. Bodes well for us. We'll see how Joe Moorhead advances there. I don't know. I'm gonna have to say stock up, but ugh, maybe like watch that real closely because you want to sell it immediately. All right, A and M. The Aggies. Oh, uh, stock is it's through the huge, roof. Yeah, I huge,
3: mean, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in Jimbo Fisher. Anytime people try to debate with me that it was luck at Florida State, or it was I? I, I don't. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. I think that Jimbo is, is an incredibly great college football uh, coach, and, and that coach. That word "coach" means means everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he has weaknesses. I, I don't know that he's he's not in the next like the upper upper echelon level, but his offense is extremely innovative. We talk about it every year. It's a fantastic college football offense. He recruits lights out. Uh, Texas a is throwing every dollar in the whole state of Texas at yeah. trying to win. He couldn't be in a better situation, I think. He's fueled. He's angry. He's frustrated. He wants to win super bad. He has to go up against the big bad boys of the West. I think he's stoked about it. I, I think the stock is as high as it's ever been for Texas
1: A&M as a program. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not going to let the stock go down. They put, they'll buy out all the other stock. They'll keep it going up. I mean, this is his spot right now. I mean, Especially too, the I mean, they were four and four last year in the in conference. I mean, it can only go up. Uh I don't know that they're gonna like, you know, win ten, eleven games next year. But I would be surprised if he doesn't have that thing rolling by year two and three. Now, things could happen, quarterback injuries, whatnot, where he doesn't hit those um marks. But yeah, I'm I'm super glad we play Tex m once every like fifteen years or something like that. So uh good for us right let them duke it out over there ole miss how are you feeling there i feel i feel
3: like stock is up given where myself and most people thought they would have been last year mm-hmm. i think solid job just holding stuff together we talked about this on the yeah. pod towards the end of last season so i'm going to leave this as like stock up relative to where they bottomed out at but not not stock up as in like they're going places mm-hmm. with their current coaching staff, but admirable job being done there. I think if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I have to feel rather pleased that my program is still in existence and it mm-hmm. seems to be actually like moving forward in a in a discernible direction and, and 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 you know holding stuff together. I mean, six and six last year is an exemplary finish by them, and I think they could get about the same this year potentially, and I think that'll be really. I think that'd be a pretty good result given where they came from, but you're definitely not going to buy oldness as a stock to, to improve your portfolio. Right. I
1: mean, it's a tough spot. I mean, I like the quarterback. The coach I think is adequate. At least he showed. So last year, but if you're looking to regain some of that Hugh freeze magic and get them where they were really feeling themselves a couple of years ago and like riding sky high, I mean, I'm going to have to say stock down. I don't, I don't see them even come close to approaching that outside of, you know, the, NCAA legalizing cheating. So, all right. Uh, Arkansas, new coach, Chad Morris. Oh, stock is, is way up,
3: I think, okay. for Arkansas. Uh, I like Chad Morris. We talked about him. I think he's solid. I, I don't think that he, again, he's not, is not proven to be on the trend line of being, you know, an elite guy. He's not an like Urban Meyer coming from Bowling Green or Utah, but solid. I think that he is excited about the job. I think that he's a young guy, mm-hmm. which I think will be good for them recruiting-wise. Uh, and I know that they're changing from a turf field to grass field because Chad Morris likes grass fields and not turf fields. And that's a big deal over there, apparently. Okay. I read that yesterday. So maybe that's going to give them an extra win yeah, or two. Yeah, that's it. Uh, this is not... So Joe Moorhead is your boomer bust, like bet the farm uh-huh. and go broke or, or become fabulously wealthy. Chad Morris, not the boomer bust guy. I think Chad could slide more. He could be. I think he's got a range. I think he could slide more into the consistent... Uh, producer at Arkansas, get them back to maybe like sniffing contention, kind of changing the system and the philosophy, maybe by year three producing interesting result for this upcoming year alone. Stock is definitely up compared right. to where they're coming from. For sure.
1: Yeah. Stock up for me. I I'm intrigued by the potential of this. And I, I mean, I feels like there's 50, 50, like he's going to be a relatively successful coach there or the Chad Morris experiment just fails and they have to fire him after three or four years, which is the outcome for almost every coach seemingly, uh, I think there is a path forward for them, though. That's what, you know, his recruiting ties in Texas, offensive guy. That's where you see, like, okay, I can see how they're going to get there. That's why I don't love the Jeremy Pruitt hire in Tennessee. I don't see their path to success. Are you going to do better than Kirby Smart doing at Georgia? So, I don't know. It, it's a good hire for them. I don't know that it's, like you said, like an amazing hire, but I see the path to success and you can't win Arkansas. Houston Nut did it. Petrino did it. These are top 10 finishes. So it's possible at Arkansas we've seen it done. Okay, that's the power ranking of the SEC. Go out and you know place your wagers accordingly, everyone. And if there's
3: one thing that you learned about that, the West obviously has a lot more intriguing buys yeah. than the East does. But Florida, a Florida potential hot buy, no matter how you look at it, whether you're a fan of the Gators or not. All right, speaking of coaches, hot buys, Florida – Let's bring Nebraska into this picture. Ooh! And there's two reasons we're going to talk about this. One, straight up,
1: Alan, better record next year, Nebraska or Florida? Okay, you really have to like break out the schedules to do this. And I know you said don't do that, and <laughs> you can be very wrong. Nebraska's got a brutal schedule next year. Um, I think ours sets up much easier. I'm so intrigued by Scott Frost in Nebraska. I would rather it be Scott Frost in Florida. But he's got his work cut out for him. But you could see the future with him really turning them into an excellent program. Now, he's got limitations there that Iowa State and Michigan don't have and Penn State. But uh, they're going to be a fun program to watch next year. I don't know that he's going to get it cranking in year one. So I would have to say Florida would have the better record.
3: Yeah, I think this the consensus here would be that Florida would. And, and the reason we're even talking about this on the pod is to cue you up for something we will talk a lot about next year. We talk about it all the time. I love talking about it. The record in year one is not nearly as important as observing progress on the field. That's the key. That's the key. And so if we change this question to who makes more progress next year, Scott Frost, Nebraska, or Dan Mullins, Florida, based upon what we see. It's a much more interesting question, uh, and I think we will have such a question entering into the early parts of next season once we have actually watched these teams play. But case in point there is be careful just looking at records. Also, be careful just picking game by game. Like we mentioned, it is not necessarily going to indicate the trend of a team, and we just came out of a result where you really heard us talk a lot about stock up, stock down, Based a lot on the coach, the feeling, the vibe, right? And, and I think that's a crucial a crucial metric to look at. But keep an eye on that. Nebraska probably going to have a hard time next year. They have a brutal, brutal Big Ten schedule. Uh, a lot of road games against the best opponents. They play basically every best team in the Big Ten. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how quickly Scott Frost can, can turn them into something. Uh, but you'd expect
1: their time would come a little later. Okay, so let's close it out here like we did last time. James... You've had some adventures in the flag football world. How did it end up for Gators United, you and your cast of Gator All-Stars? So last time we
3: had spoken, uh, we had we had come out of the Tampa Regional, I believe, correct? we given an update on the play that went down there? I think so. I think we had, right? So uh, we had, I was in, I played quarterback, Danny went out with a temporary injury. We won those two games rather convincingly. And then we had uh, marched on to New York, where we played in the Jets facility, which is in Florham Park, New Jersey, which is a good hour outside of New York City. They really should be the New Jersey Jets. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous to we've instilled the New York Jets. But cool facility. Um, got to spend two days there. Unfortunately, we lost 23-22. to 22. We were winning the game 22-16 to 16 with uh, four minutes left. Man, the brutal. team we were playing outside of California, came from California, and they drove down the field and scored with 40 seconds left to tie the game and then also got the extra point. Uh, and then we had a play on offense where we were just just a step or two away from actually scoring in that last minute to win the game. So good experience. Uh, yours truly had two of our three touchdown passes yeah. in the game. Yep. So there we go. And, and also, a uh, fun fact, is after the game – they put me in the broadcast booth. This is so, crazy.
1: I feel like you're, like when someone told me this, it was like you're making this up. This is like too much of a fairy tale.
3: Yeah, right. So they put me in the broadcast booth, and I broadcasted uh, a couple of games for the AFFL. And after the first game, I was told that the NFL Network's executive producer wanted to talk to me, and he pulled me aside and said, "Hey, we've been listening to what you're doing. Uh, we think this is actually really exceptional. This is basically gold. Uh, we're calling you the Flag Tony Romo."
2: <laughs> and so we're calling you Flag Flag
3: Romo. And to me, that's like the greatest compliment ever because I think Tony Romo is the best football analyst that's ever walked the earth. And he's only done it for a year. He's so good. Uh, but I had so much fun. And so as it stands now, the NFL Network is, uh, is attempting to have me on the broadcast for their TV live broadcast of the rest of this tournament, which will go on through July. We will see if that will happen uh, depending on you know what they've currently got set up and what's going on, it so may your or may not. Talking, like, yeah, yeah, you know, there's that, there's some, kind of yeah there's some stuff <laughs> going on, but a uh, really really fun time. Even though we lost a lot of great flag football teams, a lot of good football being discussed. Uh, the Gators guys had a great time. I can tell you that all those former players that you know, you know Brandon James, Maud Black, Major Wright, uh, you know Danny Warful, Wandy Chris Doring, Wandy Pierre, yeah, uh, Travis McGriff, you know those guys, Frankie Hammond. Uh, they, they more or less all of them have fallen in love with the game of flag football and they 've really come to love it you know Danny Danny, especially in particular, I think has found a second a second calling he 's really excited about it. so a lot of fun, a lot of frustration to lose, nobody wants to lose, but a lot of cool opportunities came out of it and of course, the story won't end here we 'll tell you what happens with the NFL network stuff, but probably most notably for you guys since, since Alan and I get asked this question a lot is the football theory you hear on this show. Uh, gets played out when I am playing, and it gets played out in the conversations I just had with my whole team, most of whom played in the NFL. And I can assure you uh, that the football theory that we discussed with them is is in fact what you hear on the show is 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 as good as the theory gets. Right? Uh, you get to football with a lot of stones. You get to talk a lot of guys who play in the league, and you know how we break down the film. What we talk about here it's not to brag on ourselves; it's just to talk about kind of what we do um, is is really fun and intriguing, even to the NFL guys. You know they love kicking it around. They love talking about it. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun to discuss it. And so I had a tremendous amount of fun on a live broadcast, being able to basically use my telestrator and draw up. Hey, look, here's this formation. Here's what you expect to see out of this. Here's what they're running. Uh, just like we do on this podcast yeah, each week, it's talking like you, about all your training here. On what the pod. we saw on film. Here's what they should attack. Here's what they should do. So really, really fun. So I appreciate you guys for. For being our listeners because I would never have had this tremendously successful run in the booth if we didn't have listeners of this podcast. If Alan had never had this idea and we hadn't started it and you guys hadn't consumed it, I would not have been ready to hop into a broadcast booth and talk football. And so in a large in a large way, you are to thank. So thank you for listening and supporting the show. It means a lot to Alan and I. We keep getting to do all this really fun stuff, which is super cool. We love bringing you this content. Uh, for those of you that support us on Patreon, thank you so much. If you want to support the show financially, uh, you totally can. We love you doing it. You head on to Patreon. There are links on our website as well as on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, again, to our existing patrons, thank you. It's, it's awesome to have you guys supporting us. It makes Alan and I feel super great. about yeah, this Let's read
1: right? off a few more patrons real quick. Okay, so thanks to Chris Pabst, to TJ Nowick, to Russell Hall, to Matthew Roberts, to Patrick Hannon, to Chris Hall, to Robert Ostby, it's a cool name. Uh, thanks to Christopher Millward, Kyle Keaton, Stephen Pate, Spencer Roth, Adam Ellis, and Andrew Mosley. So thanks to those guys and all our other patrons. And yeah, as James said, really appreciate you guys supporting the show. And that's going to bring today's
3: episode to a close. We're happy to bring you a May episode. When Alan first said, Let's do an episode of May, I said, What the heck are we going to talk about? But here we are. Drop and get an hour plus of content, Alan. You and I get together and it can't be under an hour. Uh, the good news is we used to freak out about that stuff. But nowadays, I think we know that from for the majority of you, you enjoy the hot takes that are coming from <laughs> this microphone. Alabama. But as always, if you have any feedback, please send it to us. You can hit us up again on Twitter, on Facebook. We definitely want to respond to your messages, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Send it to us. It helps us make this show what it is. Uh, amazingly we are like 15,000 listeners strong we are now by far the largest uh, Gator football podcast in existence thanks to you guys thank you for telling your friends thank you for listening we will be back with you in July SEC media Day. SEC media days always a good time uh, a great way to kind of kick off the the middle of summer and then really the beginning of the football season. So far
1: away,
2: we'll, be on, far we'll
3: away. be on a break until then. I will be heading myself to Russia, even though Alan will no longer be there to catch the World Cup. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you guys on the flip side. For Alan Williams, I'm James DeRogilio. Until July, see you guys.
0: Great news from Sprint! The wait is finally over. The new Samsung Galaxy Note 10 with the powerful S Pen has arrived at Sprint, and you can get it for fifty percent off with a Sprint Flex lease. That's right! Get the power of performance and productivity of the Galaxy Note 10 for less than twenty dollars per month. There's never been a better time to switch. To learn more, visit your local Sprint store, sprintcom Note 10 or call eight hundred Sprint One today. Nineteen seventy nine a month after nineteen eighty month monthly credit applied to two bills with approved credit. Eighteen month lease. and New line of service. If canceled, Lily your balance due. exclusive tax. Coverage and offer Not available everywhere. 3rd the activation fee. Restrictions apply.
2: That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff.
0: Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.